1: Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs, across the world or across town. And now, the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper.
0: The Bible, the Word of God, is just a great book, and I've given my life to teach it, preach it, study it, share it, and Early on, when God called me and I followed him into preparing for ministry, the word of God just came alive for me. And the the main thing was salvation and then how to live, discipleship, how to family. When I was married and starting a family, the Bible had to say a lot about family and relationships. But a few years ago, about 15 years ago now, the Bible started opening up to me in a different way, and it was from the point of missions. The Bible is a book on, it's his story, but it's his story to be shared with the world and with the nations. And I started looking at it missionally, and it changed a lot of my perspective of it. And we're talking about from Genesis to Revelation. Sure, we know about Matthew and the Gospels, and sure, we know about the book of Acts and how the Gospel overcame all barriers, and yes, those are the most pivotal ones when it comes to missions, but you'll find the missions stored throughout the Bible. So, Nathan, uh, when we start looking at missions throughout the Bible,
1: I, yeah, you have to look at it for that way, but when you do, you find it, don't you? Oh, it's, it's all over from Genesis to Revelation. A lot of times we have the idea when you talk about missions, well, you got to go find it in the New Testament. It's a, I don't know, a later concept or idea, or maybe Jesus was the one who started it. And yes, Jesus is the, the center point of it, and he, is, he, he gives us the authority and power, but it's actually, it was God's heart right from the very beginning, even, even in creation, at, at the point of creation missions is is all over the Old Testament as well, and one of the ways to kind of study that or notice that is a, a, a key word to kind of keep in mind, and until you see it this way, you might think of it, think of this word in another way, and, and the word is the word nations in, in English, is it's the word nations, and so a common way to see the word nations is to think of it as like a modern day city-state, like a nation state, like the United States of America and Canada and Mexico. Well, those are those are nations, yes, but that's not the biblical word nations, What what that concept is. The biblical word nations, the concept for that is ethnic group or people group. In other words, there are a multitude of nations, people groups and ethnic groups within the nation of the United States of America and even Canada, and even Mexico. So you have hundreds of people groups within countries or within the borders of a of a nation state. And thousands worldwide. Yeah, yeah. There's actually about 17,000 or so nations. Now, the Bible kind of, biblical writers had the concept in their mind as far as they didn't necessarily have 17,000 in mind. They had about 70 in mind. So the categories might break down differently, but the concept is the same. So the word nations uh, means people groups and ethnic groups. So when you have that in your mind and you see the word, anytime you see the word nations, especially in the Old Testament, it's over 500 times in the Old Testament, it it appears. Start understanding that it's not modern nation states, it's, it's people groups and it's peoples that have a distinct culture and a distinct language. Maybe even a different belief system than what Christians have in the New Testament or Jews have in the Old Testament, and you start noticing though that God has a plan for those people. God has a heart for those people, and uh, no one is none of them are excluded. Are that's they? right? God God loves the nations, and He has planned from the beginning to send Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice for all the peoples. And remember God's blessing to
0: Abraham that the all the families nations of the earth would be blessed. That's right. That's from the very beginning the heart of God. And so but there's one book and uh, it's one of the most unique books in the Bible. Matter of fact, when I was a a college student at Northeast Mississippi Junior College here in Northeast Mississippi where I lived and still live, they had a special tour group coming to northeast, and uh, we were assigned in my literature class. We had we had to go, you know, as right. part of the. And after I got there, I was so glad I did. They acted out the Book of Job, hmm. part of it, okay. about when Job was there and his friends came to console him and advise him. And I'll never forget that. I still remember that day. And I had heard about the Book of Job, and I'd said something, you know, a little bit about it. I'd heard it preached from, but that brought it alive. And, and the Book of Job is is introduced by us a conversation between God and Satan himself. And, uh, we don't know everything that means. And this is not exploring the word, which I do. Yeah. This is exploring mission. So we're not going to go through the whole explanation, but we just know Satan had to appear before God yeah. and he appears before God. And, and, and God brings up Job said, if you considered my servant, Job?" And, he, and Satan says, Oh yeah, I have. I've seen him. He wouldn't serve you unless, but you're so good to him. Why wouldn't he? But if bad things started happening, He'd turn and he'd deny you. And so God permitted him to have limited pressure and and difficulty in Job's life. And then the book of Job is the rest of it. His response and friends that came from different nations to talk to him. And to share with him, and then at the end, it shows you the conclusion. But Job doesn't know that he's being tested all this time. He's he's not, you know, we're looking at it like, okay, this is what's happening, but we know the conversation between God and Satan. Job didn't know. He wasn't privileged to yeah. that information, he's was just he? just experiencing it in real time. Well, okay, with us setting that up, Nathan, I want you
1: to help us see God's love for all the nations in the book of Job. Okay, and so all we're going to do is pick out a few verses here and kind of comment on that and kind of show how it relates. And we're not saying, ultimately, this is the main theme or the purpose of the book of Job. I think it's a primary theme, I believe it is. A lot of people try to figure out the book of Job and End up scratching their heads because it's it's kind of you know it's considered wisdom literature. I don't I don't know if they knew where to put it. Yeah, um, (laughs) and you can see why they would put it in wisdom literature. There's a lot to talk about, especially in the middle sections with Job's conversations with his friends, even Job talking to God, and, and at the end listening to God. There is wisdom, generically, but also there's God's wisdom there. And one of the things that puts it in the wisdom literature is. It talks about in Job chapter 1 kind of where Job is from and, and and who he is. First let's look at where he's from, verse 1. So Job 1 verse 1 says there was a man in the country of Uz or Uz, however you want to pronounce that, named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. So someone, biblically speaking, that fears God And turns away from evil, someone that lives with complete integrity, we would call a wise person. That's the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so apparently Job feared God and he turned away from evil. So Job would be seen as a a wise person. So that kind of puts it in in the idea of wisdom literature. Another verse, verse 3, says his estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, you read just a little bit after Job in the Bible, and you get to hear about Solomon. And it talks about how Solomon was the wisest of all the people of the East. He was wiser than anybody in the East. So somehow Job is seen as a, on a similar track as Solomon. He had greatness, he had lots of wealth, and uh, he had he had wisdom. More wisdom, more greatness than anybody of the East compared compared to him. But understand that first, Job is not from Israel. And there's, I guess, debate or speculation about when the story of Job, when Job actually lived. Was he a contemporary of Abraham? Was he a little bit after Abraham? So somewhere in there, he's the patriarchs
0: is the period. Talk time, about yeah. the patriarchs: is Abraham, Isaac, and right. Jacob. So
1: he's in that time frame somewhere. And so Uz is close to Ur, where Abraham was from, kind of the same general vicinity. Basically, you're talking about east of of Israel. So understand, Job was not Jewish; he was not a Hebrew, but somehow he knew he knew God, he knew the Lord. So look down in verse 8. Verse 8 says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Repeating verse 1 there. Except God notices that. So God's saying to Satan that Job fears me, he turns away from evil, he's a man of integrity. But he calls him a name, he calls him my servant. God considers this man not an Israelite, but he considers him his servant. Not too many folks in the Bible actually are referred to as God's servant, or referred to God as my servant. Let me say this in God's kingdom, the highest position is servanthood. Yeah. So
0: that, yeah. That's a great we we say friend uh, and it is, but he's
1: a servant. So, one of the few examples that is you see in the Bible that someone is called my servant. Now, who was Abraham is called God's friend. Hmm. So, there's not many people called God's friend. Right. Not many people were called God's servant, but one person who is you see a lot of in the Book of Isaiah. There's a specific person that Isaiah is prophesying about, and he uses the words that. God is speaking as my servant. And we would know that as the suffering servant who we also know is Jesus. Right. So it's kind of interesting to see that Job is also called my servant. So one thing that's interesting, one does not have to be an Israelite to be considered a servant of God or someone who can worship God and fear God. So, let me just mention this, and this is a concept that a lot of us have, and I have had, and it's not a, you know, I'm not trying to be controversial, or I'm not trying to take a shot at anything, but, you know, we, we, we know, and we talk about how Israel is God's chosen people, all right? And that's true. It, the Bible talks about that. Does that mean that if Israel is God's chosen people, does that mean he is their the Israel is greater than the other people. What does that mean that Israel is God's chosen people? And we kind of have to understand why are they chosen? Right. Well, one, they're chosen for that relationship, a special relationship. But on the second side of things, they're also chosen as God's instrument, as God's uh, useful, you know, right. f- to be used by God in his purpose of bringing the whole world back to him. Exactly. So,
0: and you better not outweigh one over the other. Right. If so, you if you want to know the truth, if you're gonna put the weight, put the weight on the latter part of of being the
1: messenger of God's love to the world. Yeah. So we kind of have this mindset that A is greater than B. In other words, the blessing of God is greater than the responsibility that God has for us that comes with that blessing. So we want the blessings. We don't want to focus on the responsibility. I think
0: it's humanity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid so.
1: And so we also tend to focus on Israel being God's chosen people. And they are. But we forget that they're also God had them for a reason. He chose them for a reason. Now, we can talk about ourselves that way. If you know Jesus Christ, you've been chosen by God to know him to be saved. But it doesn't stop there. A is not greater than B. Go on to the B, that you're chosen also to serve God yep. and be a blessing to all those around you. You know, Nathan, I, as reading the scriptures, he has desires for all
0: to be saved. If he did not want us to be servants, and as you said, and I'm going to use the word witness, you know, they were to be a witness of God's greatness to the world. If, is he, if he was only interested in us being saved, we would have died the moment we got saved and take us to heaven. But he left us here so that we could be that witness that is different. And Israel was that way as well. The nation watched; that was their responsibility. It really was. Yes. All
1: right, let's move ahead in uh, Job chapter 1, verse 21. It reads, well, actually, this is kind of a, uh, somewhat of a song or a, or a poem or a saying. And so Job is saying, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I don't know how your Bible reads this. In my Bible, when it says the word Lord, L-O-R-D, my uh, Lord letters are all capitalized. Mine as well. Capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Now, I've been teaching my uh, students on Wednesday night Bible study at the church where I'm a student pastor and. To, to understand when they see that written in Scripture, all capitals, Lord, that's the, that's the name for God. That's the personal name of God, Yahweh. That's how we that's might it. try to say yeah. that. And so here is Job, not an Israelite, perhaps a close or not far from being a contemporary of Abraham, who we don't have any evidence that Abraham even knew the name of the Lord, Yahweh. We, we see it revealed in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses at the burning bush. But here's Job stating Yahweh, the name of the Lord. I don't know exactly how that can be. I don't know if you have any ideas, but is this just a textual issue here? I don't think so. I think Or did so Job really know God's name?
0: I think he knew him. God revealed. You know, we talk about this, and it's so real. There's two ways that you can know God. Okay observation and revelation yeah do you remember when jesus was talking to peter and who do men say that i am and then he says who do you say that i am and peter responds you are the christ the son of the living god Mm -hmm. jesus responds and said flesh and blood did not show that to you but my father observation will only take you so far but if you respond to God in your observation of creation of conscience guess what he's going to reveal the rest of himself in a personal way to you i believe this is god's revelation to to job
1: that's that's yeah. my interpretation nathan yeah and and also and we don't want to you know give an argument from silence or anything like that but at the same time just because in scripture that we see the Lord, Yahweh, revealing his personal name to Moses, and that's the first time we see it specifically or explicitly revealed, doesn't mean he hasn't done that in other people's lives. Here's another question. Was worship of Yahweh, the Most High, one true God, was worship of Yahweh more universal and widespread even pre-Israel times than we can than we imagine today? I believe it is. I mean, when you
0: look at it from Adam and and Eve, they shared the truth, and Seth, and then their generation. Yeah, the godly line. The godly line. Yeah. And you see that all the way through, and the Bible calls it a remnant. And even after the church came into existence, and they go through the, quote, the dark ages of period of time when history, you know, people were going, God still had his remnant of believers. During that period of time of him revealing himself to them, yeah, I, I believe it with all my heart, Nathan. I think the biblical, I, th- I think it's a biblical principle of God's
1: power in His revelation. So that's, I mean, that's just an interesting point I noticed, and uh, we could get real deep and technical and get way above my head on this because I'm I'm not a biblical scholar, but this is a it's a scholarship issue, and it's but it's something worth to pay attention to. Like, how would someone who came before Moses and is not Jewish know the personal name of God? Really, it's the same way anybody knows God. Yeah. God reveals himself That's it. to us. That's it. That's how we know God. That's it. And we know God is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Job, we'll see in a little bit, for his friends becomes a sign, a, a, a pointer to God. Job is not Jesus, of course, but he... Somewhat will take on the role that Jesus did in a very limited capacity for his friends. So, talking about Job's friends, let's move on to chapter two. And we're not going to work all the way through Job. You know, the storyline of Job is really chapters one, two, and then the last chapter, all the in between chapters. And you could get bogged down if you try to read them all the way through. But this conversation is between Job and his friends. So, Job's three friends you have Eliphaz, and this is verse 11, it mentions them. Eliphaz, the Temanite, so he's this guy from Taman, or Teman, and then you have Bildad, the Shuhite, or he's from a place called Shua, and Zophar, the, uh, how would you say that, the Namathite? That's the way I'd try to. And I believe he's from a place called Namah, or Namah. And so, in a sense, okay, I'm not, I don't want to read into this too much, but I really believe it's here. In a sense, they represent the nations or people groups of the world. Right from the beginning, they talked about Job. The, the book talks about Job being greater than all the people of the East. So we have a scope of all the people of the East already. Well, here's some people of the East. Here's some representatives of those some of those people groups of the East. So you have these, these guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, representing the nations. And we have to understand this didn't have to go into the book of Job. This didn't have to go into the story unless God wanted it there. And so God wants it there in part to see what they're saying and see the conversations, but also to, I think, get across the concept that God was also working not just in Job's life, but in their life as well.
0: When you see that, I remember taking some witnessing courses, Nathan, and uh, we would go out. Two by two, but we were taught we go in the name of the Lord, but the Lord goes before us. And those people that we're going to knock on their door or we're going to see in a park, God is going before us. And, And that's the truth here. Yes, God goes before us. And with these three friends, God is God is involved in the, even as you go on into the conversation, although some of their conversation is just, quote, worldly wisdom, there's a lot there's of... There's bits of is, truth. There's bits of truth. That's in right. It. Yes.
1: And, and we have to understand that the most unreached people group there is out there, there's bits of God-given truth that they possess. It's not enough to save. Jesus is the one that can save. And that's why we come, and we why we go to. We complete it, don't we? Yeah, we complete that. But God's please. put eternity in their hearts, yes. and and He He doesn't leave Himself without a witness. So, we see God working in 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 before us, in front of us, behind us, and a lot of times in spite of us. Okay, and I think that was somewhat of Job's case, but. We can put ourselves in Job's shoes, and I don't see me doing any better than Job. I I don't either. He did.
0: He did not deny God. He questioned God, Amen, but not denied That's Him. Right. And, and I don't know of anybody that goes through life at some times that do not have questions. That's right about why. And uh, Job's no
1: different. That's right. Let's look at a couple other verses before we get to the end of the story. Chapter nine, verse thirty-three talks about, uh, well, I'll just read a few verses, 32 through 35. It says, then this is Job talking about God to Bildad, actually. He's replying to Bildad. So he's tel- talking to Bildad about God. For he is not a man like me that I can answer him, that we can take each other to court. There is no mediator between us to lay his hand on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me so that, so his terror will no longer frighten me. Then I would speak and not fear him. That is not the case. I am on my own. Well, that's what it felt like to Job. And he said, there is no mediator. Other translations say, oh, that there were a mediator Mm -hmm. between God and man. Well, we know there is. Okay. Praise God. So Job is longing for a mediator. Hang on to that bit. Okay. Over in chapter 19, verse 25, He's also not just looking for a mediator, he's looking for a redeemer. So, not just someone who can listen and understand, but someone who can do something about it and change the circumstance and change his life. So, in uh, chapter 19, verse 25, Job is this time he's talking again to Bildad. Bildad gets all the good stuff, okay? (laughs) I don't know why that is. But in verse 25, Job says, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the end, he will stand on the the dust or on the earth. I don't know how he knows and who he perceives as as his redeemer. He knows it's God. He knows it's Yahweh. So uh, Job is longing for a mediator. He's longing to see the redeemer. And he knows he will see him one day when his life is over. Well, when the book of Job is over, chapter 42, let's look at that. And just instead of reading it all, I just want to kind of summarize this chapter as we kind of get ready to close. And this kind of ties it all together. So we see see God's heart for the nations at work. So what's, what's Job doing here in, in chapter 42? God finally speaks, and Job hears what he says. And so Job finally shuts up, basically. You know, he's like, I'm going to cover my mouth. I spoke too soon. I should have waited to hear from you before I spoke. But Job worships God with a newfound or maybe renewed humility and wisdom that he was lacking at the beginning. Right. And it showed that it was lacking through all the conversations in the as he was talking about his trials and sufferings. So he's worshiping God with a newfound humility and wisdom. But Job's friends also get in on the, the worship. Remember, Job's friends says we represent the nations in some way. They also get to worship God. Look at verse 7. Chapter 42, verse 7. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. Job functions as a missionary, speaking the truth to his friends, to the nations. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. So Job. Becomes a mediator and points to the Redeemer, who God is, to his friends, to the nations that they represent. So Job, as a priest, functions as a missionary to the nations. We, in the Bible, have been called a kingdom of priests over and over. We are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, sent on mission in the world to proclaim about the mediator, about the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So when we're on mission for God,
0: we're in line of a great man throughout the Bible. Yeah, even Job. Thank (laughs) you for listening to Exploring Missions here on the American Family Radio Network.